to remind you about the homeless outreach tonight and it's not too late to get involved just bring some food and join us you could either talk to pastor ali or sign up in the foyer hey family just uh quick announcements for you uh, the Peru team is heading to peru june 9th through the 21st and we're going to have an auction on april 14th kids are going to bring their gift baskets for you to put a silent bid on and then they're going to be up front after second service and you get to bid on some kids to put them to work Free labor, nah, cost you a little bit, but good work. So come out and support the team. God bless you guys. Calvary, this is Hannah, and I wanted to give you an overlook of what's happening this Easter weekend. April 19th will be our Good Friday service from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. here at the church. On April 20th, we'll have our tent peg ministry in front of Tractor Supply. On April 21st, we will have our sunrise service here at the church from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then following, we'll have a breakfast from 8 to 9. And then our Easter Sunday service will be following that, the regular service times from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. here at the church. If you want to get involved in any of these events, please go to our app and click on our events icon or call the church at 530-527-8219. Did I get it? Well, 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to read those first 11 verses. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel. Here it is, 30,000 of the elite soldiers. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, and all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, on cymbals. I'd say there wasn't a musical instrument not being used. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, and the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because the Lord outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perza Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord, with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Title of today's message is Worship in Truth. God desires we'd worship him in spirit and in truth, and that'll be the second part next week, the spirit. And we're going to learn that there is a definite way God wants to be worshipped. And we're going to learn today that when we worship in a means that suits us, the ends will not justify the means. It's the means that God wants. It's something that worships him. He made our bodies with arms and hands and voices and standing and bowing. And God made us in this way for his glory. I love that in Job where God starts asking Job and the guys questions. Do you know why I made a big giant bird that can't fly? The ostrich? Because I wanted a big bird that can't fly. That was his answer. Do you know why I made a horse with a little tiny hoof and that little ankle at the bottom that can turn? 
He said, so when men are rushing into battle, the multitude of horses would sound like thunder as they come to the battle line. That was God's reasoning. Why did he give us hands? <laughs> to clap. I mean, Jesus said, unless you're converted and become as a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do we not lift our hands? Pride. Why do we not clap our hands? It doesn't suit us. Feel a little silly, maybe. I'd rather have worship this way rather than that way. I'd rather sit and stand. I'd rather just keep my hands folded or put in my pockets. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But God made worship in a particular way. And, and really, the, the title I would title this, if I were teaching the whole chapter at once, I would say, God is a God who wants to be hollowed. And David didn't have this concept in his theology yet. David knew of the mercies of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, but David did not yet understand. Our Father who's in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. God is God. Yes, we're made in his image. Yes, we are a persons and God is a person and in all of creation, you got God person, angel persons and man persons. That's it. But God is in heaven. Our father, we have this great intimacy, but in heaven, hallowed be his name. And so we, we see that David had it right. God wanted to be in the center of his people. Interesting, when they came out of Egypt and then they built the tabernacle, God divided up in all the tribes. It wasn't in a round circle around the ark that was in the middle. It was defined a group of people east, another group of people west, another group of people north, another group of people south. And it was a clear. And if you do the numbers, this is what it would have looked like from God's point of view as the children of Israel traveled. You have a picture there? That's what it would have looked like as they traveled. You can do the math. You can look it up. Numbers chapter two and chapter three. Remember that story where Balaam was wanting to, to curse the people. Balak wanted him to, to pay him to do it. And it says he looked down on the people. That's what he would have saw. <laughs> the cross, interesting stuff when you begin to look at it. So David had it right. God wants his people to be centered in the presence of God. We know that in the New Testament, don't we? But here, David says, I don't want the tabernacle to be at Adinabab's house anymore. Now, you might remember back when Samuel was a wee little boy. The Philistines came up to battle, and the corrupt priesthood at that time, Eli, who raised him, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, very wicked, they actually took the, tab they actually took the ark out of the tabernacle and went to the front lines to scare the Philistines. And it worked for a little while, but they lost. And remember, the Philistines took the ark and they put it in the house of their gods, in particular Dagon. And I love this. Every morning, Dagon had fallen forward on his face before the ark. <laughs> and the statue was getting beat up and banged up. And, and then God in all his humor gave all the Philistine hemorrhoids. <laughs> and they said, we got to get rid of this ark. Now, inside the ark was the rod of Aaron that had budded, some manna, and the tabernacles that were broken. And the Philistines added to it little golden hemorrhoids, and they put them inside the ark. They put it on a cart. They said, we're not sure if this is the Lord's will, so we're going to take some cows that everything in their natural instinct is going to want to go back to the barn, to their kids. But if this is the Lord, these guys will ignore their natural function 
and they'll travel to Israel. And indeed they did. And they went and the ark was coming. The Israelites went out and jumped up on the cart and and started pawing at the the ark and trying to look inside and 50,000 were killed on the spot. They just said, no, we're just parking this in Adinabab's garage here. Well, 70 years has gone by. And David is saying, God wants to be in the center. But what we're going to learn in this story is what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. John 4, verse, oh, yeah, show a picture of the ark. Were you going to do that? There you go. There's an artist's rendition of the ark. It was uh, about three feet, nine inches long, two, two feet, three inches wide, and two feet, three inches high. It was layered with the, it was acacia wood built out of that, layered in gold. We don't know how much gold. And then the lid is solid gold. And in it, you have two cherubim looking and facing towards one another like they are in heaven flying around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God's almighty. And the top of that was the mercy seat where the high priest would once a year go in and dump the blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of the nation. Now, the rods are put there because that is the way it was to be carried. And uh, in John 4, verse 23 and 24, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship in the Father in two things. Here it is, spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's looking specifically for the combination of these two things. Not all truth, but there's spirit, there's life, there's fervency. And then he he points out, God is spirit. God's a lot of things, isn't he? God is light, God is holy, God is love. But here he says, when it comes to worship, that it's spirit that we're worshiping, that that spirit of God. And we, as spirits, are to worship him in spirit. And this is what he says. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and don't leave out truth. And today we're going to see the truth of this matter. And so in 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 and 2, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000 soldiers, all decked out. That's a tremendous parade that he's putting together here. And all the people gathered in the line of the parade route, uh, heading to Jerusalem. And all these guys marching and the drums and all the instruments playing. And uh, interesting, they, they found there archaeologically a sign, and it said, make Israel great again. (laughs) Only kidding. But in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, it says, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. So God, through Moses, says someday... God's going to have a perfect, specific location. And in that place, it'll be a permanent setting for the ark. Of course, speaking of the building of the temple. In 1 Kings 11.36, we are told that God says, it's in Jerusalem, the city which I've chosen for myself to put my name there. That was the place. So let's see. God, is it your will to get the ark out of Abinadab's house? Yes. Is it your will to take it to Jerusalem? Yes. Is it there where to build a great temple or centered around? And so all the people are centered around your presence? Yes. But when they went in, I think, to Abinadab's garage, they saw this old broken down cart that the Philistines had made to carry the ark. And they thought, wow, we can't use this old crummy looking thing. Let's build a brand new cart. 
And they did. I'm sure it was an amazing uh, parade float cart. And, uh, and there the tabernacle, the ark is put on this new cart and they're parading it. And all the people are gawking at this beautiful, golden, amazing work of art and representing the presence of God. And David gets two amazing guys that just have a full heart towards the Lord. Uzzah and Ahio, spiritual men. And they work out a system. Uzzah is on the cart and Ohio is making sure very carefully that uh, the path is, is clear for them to travel. And they come to Nacon's threshing floor and one of the cows trips and stumbled. And the ark is a top-heavy thing. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, if that thing tumbles over, the sheriffim gets broken out. I don't think I have that much super glue. And, and I don't want to be the guy that broke the ark. So he reaches back, probably grabs a hold of one of the legs of those sheriffim, and steadies the ark so it doesn't tip over. And then, boom, he is killed. David was besides himself. He, he's just like, I don't even know God at all. This, this completely makes no sense to me why God would strike this man dead when we're doing all his will, at least what they knew. Jesus tells us about this. He says, love the Lord your God in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, with all your heart, with all your soul, and here's what David left out, all your mind. He did not worship God with his mind. And so he's saying, how can the ark be moved? How can the ark get from one location to another? You know, God is just so unpredictable. You can't know him. You can never figure out what he's thinking or what he's doing, which is a complete lie. Interesting, Solomon later, the son of David would say, maybe as David taught him this story. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own. There it is, understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Later, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. David was feeling responsible for Uzzah's death, and so he should. And so David calls this place mocking God and angry at God that he struck him down. But interesting, had David done what he was supposed to be doing reading the scripture, he would not have had a problem. In Numbers chapter four, verse 15, couldn't be clear. When Aaron and his sons had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Korah shall carry, will come to carry them, but they shall not, what? Touch any holy thing, lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle meeting which the sons of Korah are to carry. Was it predictable, God's reaction here? God said it as plain as day. It couldn't be misunderstood that the high priest was to go and cover up all the holy things in the temple, especially the ark, and even they were not to look at them. They were to walk in backwards and put the sheet over them, cover them up. Then the sons of Korah, they broke the priesthood down into three groups. You had Kershon, the sons of Kershon had one duty. Then you had the sons of Merari, I like that, it sounds like Ferrari. And, uh, and then the next group was the Kohathites. And they were honored to be the ones to carry these holy things. But even they were not to look at them, especially the ark. All they were to see was a tarp and some sticks sticking through there for them to carry this thing. And so we see them carrying the ark without it being covered. 
Got that picture? There we go. Here's what it looked like if they were carrying it. This is sort of a artwork, not knowing whoever drew this, that they were supposed to be covered. And so we see the next one here. The next picture, and here it is. This is the way it would have looked. Them carrying it with it covered up. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 17 to 20, it tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and to uh, cut off all the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. Do not cut off the tribes of the families of the Kohathites from the Levites, but to regard them that they may live and not die while they approach the most holy things. And in verse 20, he says this, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered. What? Lest they die. Do you, do you guys get this? The miracle is not that Uzzah died. The miracle is that everybody didn't die because they're all looking at it. They're all gawking at it. The Kohathites, the most holy order of the rabbinical priesthood, were not to look at it. But here they got it up on this cart. They got the instruments playing, people dancing, the soldiers marching, and everybody's gawking at something that only the high priest was to see, and even then, once a year. We see this example over and over of God saying, I want to be hollowed. Remember when they opened the tabernacle on the first day, they ordered it. Aaron and his sons went in and they were offering incense and doing the various things, the lighting of the various candles and doing all the things they were commanded to do. And while this worship is going on, Nadab and Abihu, their little part was over. And they are like, hey, I want to do this again. I want, to, I want to burn some more. So they start burning some more incense and boom, they become crispy critters. And there in Numbers, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying, those who come near me, I must be guarded as what? Holy, hallowed. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Now he goes on the next day and he tells Aaron, listen, tell the priests when they come into the holy place, they cannot have been drinking alcohol. Evidently, these guys had, you know, were burning some incense and taking a sip and, and they were intoxicated to some degree. And, and God says, this is why they got happy feet and it was out of the intoxication, wanting to burn another. They weren't sensing the holiness and the awe of God. And this is why they got vaporized. We see the story of um, Moses when God said the second time, speak to the rock. And his anger, he's a bunch of rebels, you know, he hits it with his rock and the water comes out. But in verse Numbers 20, verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, because you did not believe me to what? Hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. This was the water of Meribah, which the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. When they realized that Moses had been so severely disciplined by God, that after 40 years of going through hell with this rebellious group of people, and then the next generation, their children and their children's children, God said, you can't go because I need to make a clear point that no one who is worshiping God in the way you are, Moses, coming in the presence of God without hollowing God's name. They need to understand this. We see it in the New Testament too. In Acts chapter five, you might remember Barnabas had given everything he had to feed the poor of Jerusalem uh, because they were being persecuted after Christianity started. And a guy by the name of Ananias and Sapphira had said, hey, we're gonna sell all our businesses and houses but we're not going to give everything, but we're going to make it seem like we're giving everything like Barnabas did because they wanted the praise of the people. Ananias was struck dead. And then later his wife 
He asked her the same question. It's all yours. You don't have to give any of it, zero. But if you're going to give, what are you giving? All of it. You're lying too. She was struck dead. And it said that the people after that um, respected the apostles, but didn't want to hang out with them. <laughs> Interesting. Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament church in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, do not receive an accusation against an elder except two or three witnesses. But here's the point I want to make. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Or I might say, Hollywood be his name. And so David, the big thing is, is the whole nation is here. This is the first national parade. Everybody knows David's doing something that hasn't been done ever in the history of Israel. Finding a location that God chose, bringing the ark there, and setting up a center place of worship permanently for the children of Israel. And David gets rebuked by God before the whole nation. And David's going, you can never know God. He's just totally an unpredictable jerk sometimes. And he was so mad. But see, it's not true. God, it says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I might just add a number six, or excuse me, 2 Samuel 6, God says, follow me. Jesus taught us, hallowed be thy name. His nature is the same today as we worship him. Solomon said wisely in Proverbs 27, 5, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. God, yes, he struck Uzzah and Uzzah is in heaven with the Lord. But more importantly, God openly rebuked David and all the people to make a clear, clear, clear statement. Solomon, in all his wisdom, in Ecclesiastes 5.2, he said at the end of that verse, God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. Again, that sense of our God's in heaven. Yes, he's our God. Yes, he's our dad. We can talk to him about anything, but... We need to have this sense of the holiness of God when we come to him. I, I, I think C.S. Lewis gives us the best picture of this in the book Chronicles of Narnia. Remember the children who came through the wardrobe had met Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they said, hey, it just so happens we're on our way to meet Ashlyn. And the kids say, let's go meet Ashlyn. And as they were on their way, they finally caught on that Aslan is a lion. And Susan says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion? Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver responds, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. There's just that sense that we are coming in the presence of God. And God is unique. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. There's none like him. And so when we say we're worshiping the Lord, we need to understand and know him. So David was so angry and surprised with God, but he shouldn't have been. In Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells us in the New Testament as priest, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, David was not obeying God at this time. 
He should have had the heart like Ezra when he was taking the people from Babylon back to reestablish the nation of Israel after 70 years. It said in Ezra 7.10 that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So David should have been saying, what does the Lord say? What is the Lord's will? What is the truth of what God desires in worshiping him? Understand, way back, Moses said, one day you're gonna ask for a king and you need to tell the king this. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 to 20, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. It shall be with him, he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, be careful to observe all the words that are in this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. You see, David, his first act as a king was to take the Holy Scriptures and by hand write it out. I think you'd learn the Bible pretty good if you had to write it out by hand. And then after he was done writing it out, having his own copy, he was to read it, meditate on it, obey it, every single day. Had he done this? And of course, he had been king now for seven and a half years before over all of Israel. Now he's been over all of Israel for a season. This should have been going on for at least eight years by now. And right there, it's just hard to imagine with such a small amount of scripture David would have had, he wouldn't have read Deuteronomy 31, verse 24 to 26. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord saying, take the book of the law, put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be as a witness against you. Interesting. The scriptures would have been leaning against the Holy Ark of the Covenant. They'd literally have to move the Bible to move the Ark. They moved the Bible, but they didn't know anything about it. I wonder how many people have ended in divorce, have gone through horrible sufferings because of the flesh, and their Bible was right there on their coffee table. They picked the Bible up to dust around it, but yet they didn't do what it said. David had said, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins that I don't commit great transgressions. And so it was very, very clear. I'm gonna jump ahead here in my notes. I didn't know Greg was gonna talk so long today. In Exodus 25, verse 14, this is how he says, you are to move the ark. You shall put the poles into the rings and the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. In number seven, he says, I'm gonna let the tribe or the sons of Gershon have two carts so they can put all the wrappings and, and the different boards that make up the tabernacle. And then I'm gonna give four carts to Merari because they even have more things to carry. But then God makes it abundantly clear in Romans seven, verse nine, but the sons of Koath, he gave none, no carts because theirs was the service of holy things to the Lord. So he learned, Numbers four, he says, don't let them touch it. He also says in Numbers four, don't let them look at it. And he says each time, if they look at it, they die. If they touch it, they die. And the children and the sons of Koath have no cars, but they're to carry this holy thing. And it's never to be put on a cart. Clear as day. Isn't that amazing? Now, the depends on how thick the gold was on it, the 
top was solid gold with the sheriff. There's a lot of different guesses depending on the thickness of the gold. But we're talking somewhere between six and 700 pounds. Four guys, 180 pounds each, more or less. So what would happen? <laughs> they walk with it very slowly, right? They carry it a, a few yards, and then what do they gotta do? They gotta set it down. We're gonna see this next week, that the worship God wasn't uh, a speedy thing. It was something that God was doing uh, in his timing. But David learned a lesson deep in his heart. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that speaks from the mouth of God. Proverbs, Solomon would say, maybe thinking about this very thing in Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out that matter. And then what would David say about the word? Blessed is a man who makes God's word his delight, and in it meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit in his season, and whatever he does shall prosper. David learned after this. It was so clear. It was so obvious. And then I'm sure after three months of Obadiah getting all the blessings of the whole nation dumped on this one little family, <laughs> David's like, this isn't fair. And he goes to the scriptures. It's so, it was right there all the time. How do you think David felt after reading these scriptures? I think he would have been saying, God, forgive me that I did what the Philistines did. I, I actually put the ark where you say clearly, don't ever put it on a cart. I did what the pagans that worship Dagon did. And I thought you were being blessed. I didn't cover it up. I didn't know it was supposed to be covered up. I, I could have had the whole nation dead. The last time they looked at it, 50,000 died. God, forgive me, that I, I, how foolish can I be? And David realized after that, and he wrote the longest chapter in the Bible, which also happens to be in the center of the Bible. Think God's making a point here? Chapter 18, verse 8 is the actual middle verse of the Bible. But chapter 118, verse 8 is the middle verse of the Bible. But the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalms 119. And it's all about God's word. And what would David say? And he would say, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Wow. In Psalms 119.92, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precept, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. So when David had other tough times in his life, he went back to say, what is God clearly saying that I'm not seeing? I don't want to try to figure it out. I just want it so in my heart that I can reference it. Ah, Numbers this, Deuteronomy this, Genesis this. I know the word. Solomon, again, I think maybe thinking on this story, said in the very end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Wow. What, what is it here that God is speaking to us in the New Testament today? Isn't God saying, I have a prescribed way to be worshiped? And it's not gonna be your choice. <laughs> it's probably not gonna be in your brain. 
is probably not going to fill it with your body. You wouldn't understand it. I mean, there are some things living on this earth, just by the sheer fact you've been 16 years on this earth, you know things that 16-year-olds know. After being married five years, there's certain things that you know about life, you've experienced. And so living and being around the church, there's certain things that we can catch on and just by the fact we're 10 years in the Lord, 20 years in the Lord, we, we, would, we catch on. But then there's other things that if we were to live 10,000 years, we never would have thought that thought. We, ne- we would have been completely shocked had we thought that would be God's heart on the issue. And David here is saying, we were so right in our hearts. We were so sincere in our thoughts. We were so pure in our hearts. We wanted to glorify God in a way that he had never been glorified before in all the history of the children of Israel. And God spit on it. And one of the most amazing guys, most godly priests in Israel died. I have no idea what God is thinking. I'm just, just park that thing right there where it sits. Just move the card into Obed-Edom's garage. And and he walked away angry and frustrated. And, And just for three months, he was just getting more and more bitter at God. And finally, they're like, God's got you checkmated, David. All the blessings of the entire nation is going on one guy. And all the nation's saying, hey, that's my blessing too. He's, it's in the center of Obed-Edom's life, but it's not the center of Israel's life. And David's like, I did the best of the best of the best I can do. I can't build a more beautiful cart. I can't get more instruments. I can't get more of a glorious parade than I set up. We pulled all the stops out the last time. So I I am just beyond bewildered what God would want. And David, he knew of God's mercies. He knew of God's grace. He knew of God's forgiveness. But he had no idea to the degree the God that gave him the power to kill the giant, the God that gave him the victory as a general of Israel in battles was a God that was holy and hallowed be his name. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. And he had to go back to the drawing board, so to speak. What am I supposed to be doing? Hey, David, you're the king, right? Yeah, you're supposed to be reading the whole Bible every day. Every day you're supposed to be reading some portion of it, meditating on it, and and getting it. And it says right there, if you don't do it, you're going to sin and you're going to make your people sin. It says it right there. Well, let me start reading the Bible again. I, I, I also wonder, it's interesting, right before this happens, we read in the first chapter, he brought his wives and names a couple of them. The next chapter, it says David married more wives, and they had all these children. In that eight years that David was king over partial of the Israel, his harem grew quite a bit. And I wonder if before he was reading the Bible and he got to that Deuteronomy 17, that says kings are not to multiply wives to themselves. They're not to multiply gold and silver to themselves. They're not to multiply horses to themselves. Unless all these things create pride and a lack of indep- and lack of dependence on God, and then they're to take the scriptures and read it every day. Those four things. And I, I wonder if David got to Deuteronomy 17. Don't multiply wives to yourself. <gasps> Ouch! I don't like this thing. I'm not going to read it for a while. <laughs> Isn't that what we do when we're first convicted? <clears throat> and now David's having to go back and read it, and it's just beyond plain how he messed up. So when we come to worship God, we need to go back to the Bible and worship God in truth. And next week, we're going to look at the second half of this. 
which is to worship God in spirit. And to what light you've been given is to the amount of light um, you're accountable to. And we're gonna see it's written. Lift your hands to the Lord. Clap your hands. Men in particular, God wants men, the prideful of all human creatures, in particular, not just in church where, you know, nobody sees us, but everywhere, lift up holy hands. And, and we need to come back and to say, God, the worship is not about me and what I'm feeling and what I like and what's comfortable and enjoyable to me. It's, Lord, what is the worship you desire? You know, I, I have family in, in, in traditional churches, and you go and you sing your four hymns and all five stanzas of each hymn. But to me, it's like, it's not about the music. It's not about what they have or don't have, an organ, a piano, it didn't matter. But I'm going to worship God in spirit through that worship service. I go into a group of kindergartners, and we're singing deep and wide, and Jesus loves me, this I know. Man, I need to worship God in spirit and in truth. For me, I need to worship the Lord. I've gone to Africa. I have no idea what they're singing, but they're jumping up and down and they're dancing around. And, and I just start speaking in tongues and worshiping and dancing around with them. And I just, I just want God to be as far as me and my house. I can't help anybody else, but I want God to be worshiped. Not just in truth. Well, as Baptists, we sit and hold our hands and, you know, we're revering God by not doing anything spiritual, but sitting and looking at the people on stage. Well, that, that's truth. <laughs> that's good you're worshiping God in truth. But God is spirit. And he wants us, when we worship him, to do it also in spirit. What's that mean? Don't take my word for it. Search the scriptures, you Bereans, and see what the, the Bible says. I was going to cover this a minute ago where David says, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. And um, in, in Psalms 19, 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What are these? These are unintentional sins. He wasn't saying, I know God hates this and I'm going to do exactly what God doesn't want me to do. No, this isn't unintentional. Just, whoa, I, just sinned I had no idea that was even a sin against God. I didn't even know it. He was, he was innocent, but yet, guess what? God still finds you guilty. People, what's in our country, we follow the Hosea passage. Ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. How fast were you going, sir? Uh, 45 miles an hour? Well, it's a school zone, 25 miles an hour. You're kidding. When they build a school around here? <laughs> I didn't even see the sign. Are you going to go before the judge and say, I didn't see the sign. I'm not guilty. It's not going to fly, is it? It, it, it? It's always funny when you see those shows where a doctor is being operated on. And he has to have a, you know, maybe his left arm has to be amputated. What do the doctors do? They write on the other arm, not this arm. <laughs> because doctors presumptuously are going in and going, I'm going to do the best operation I can do. And he amputates that left arm. And then the guy's waking up. Well, I got good news and bad news. Good news is the surgery went perfect. Bad news, the cancer is in the other arm. In essence, that's what's happening here. It's just, it's horrific. In God's sight, what David and all of Israel is doing. But they were completely ignorant how offensive it was to God what they were doing. Well, then at the very end, we read the last few verses. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him from the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obedidim Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidim the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obedidim with all his household. Well, Lord, we come before you today and we desire, Lord, that we would be your people rightly dividing the word of truth, that we be not ashamed.
We want to be people hiding your word in our hearts that we don't sin against you. We want to be your people meditating your word day and night that we would prosper in all that we do. Lord, cleanse us. Lord, forgive us. Lord, heal us. If our cultural norms are getting in the way, help us to die to those things that are keeping us back. If what we're used to for the last 30 years as a Christian, it's not the way you want, Lord, help us to put our flesh to death. Crucify our flesh with his passions and desires and come to you in truth of your word and worship you in truth. Cleanse us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Just right now, just cry out, God, I want to be a person after your own heart who does all your will. Lord, if you want to be worshipped with the top 10% of my finances, it's yours. If you want me to worship you with my hands, they're yours. Is there a prescribed way you want to be worshipped in my home? Is there a prescribed way you want to be worshipped in the workplace? Is there a way you want to be worshipped when I'm alone in, in secret places? Lord, help me to come into full obedience to you. We know ignorance of your principles, your commandments, your statutes, your testimonies, your laws. It's no excuse. We just yield ourselves and say, Lord, as for me and my house, hallowed be your name.